Welcome to OsteoTalk, an Osteopathy Australia podcast dedicated to delivering clinically relevant education for osteopaths to learn, connect and collaborate by drawing on a wealth of knowledge seen in practice as well as experts in other disciplines. Join us as we explore real clinical issues through interviews and discussion with top practitioners in Australia and internationally. For more learning and development resources, visit our website at www.osteopathy.org.au. Welcome to the OsteoTalk podcast, proudly brought to you by Osteopathy Australia. I'm your host, Emily Bergman, and I'm thrilled to be collaborating with the OA on this new project, bringing you clinically relevant education in the form of interviews and discussions. Today's guest is Dr. Steve Deneen, an elite runner, a Melbourne-based osteopath, running coach, business owner, and most importantly, husband to Mel and father of three little ones. Steve has competed at the state, national and international levels and works with professional runners as a coach and osteopath. He currently practices at Doncaster Osteopathic Clinic and works with a range of clients, including many professional athletes. Along with his wife, Mel, Steve established Deneen Runners Squad and is part of the coaching team. He completed a human movement sports science degree before undertaking his osteopathic studies at RMIT. Anyone who watched the Tokyo Olympics men's marathon may have caught the interview with Liam Adams. He finished 24th and gave a shout out to his osteopath, Steve Deneen, saying he's incredible and keeps me injury free. This was a fantastic promotion for the role of osteopathy in professional sports and personally for Steve. I am particularly excited about today's episode. I'm a mad runner myself and like many runners, we tend to make pretty silly decisions We like to run through pain and injuries and hope it magically resolves and are too afraid to seek help because we don't want to be told we will have to stop running, um, which will then lead to insanity. At the beginning of the uh, fifth Melbourne lockdown, I got back from a long run and I was super pumped and feeling positive and I did two things I never thought I would do. I cut my own hair with kitchen scissors and then I signed up for the October Melbourne Marathon. I don't have any regrets, but I'm very much looking forward to Steve sharing his expertise with us, particularly on injury prevention and management. So welcome to the podcast, Steve Dean. Hi, Anne. Thanks so much for having me here. Looking forward to being part of the show. Great. Could you start off by just spending a couple of minutes telling us about yourself? Yeah, for sure. So um, born and bred in Melbourne. I'm one of uh, eight kids. I'm a uh, seventh child, so... Five brothers, two sisters, grew up in uh, Doncaster. Um, yeah, sport was a big part of my life, uh, whether it's football, cricket, tennis, basketball, you name it. Um, I got into running at high school. Uh, none of my siblings bothered to run, but uh, I did, and I thought I was a bit odd for it. And that's where my passion really grew. I just enjoyed running and doing that. Um, graduated through school and went and started a sports science degree. Uh, got to that after three years really well. Um, loved working in the area, but not really a career for me. Uh, so I kind of sat around for a couple of years deciding what I wanted to do. I looked at car and physio. They were nice, but not what I wanted to do. Um, and after about six months, I remember going to a pub one day, bumping into now osteopath Mike Santamaria. Um, I used to run against him at school and uh, he was telling me about the course he was doing. I said, that sounds exactly like I, what I wanted to do. So that pretty much started my journey um, after chat with Mike to investigate osteopathy and I reckon I fell in love with it in about two days and, yeah, started my journey, went to uni with UM and we had a really good cohort there. 
got through osteo and um i always had a passion for sports and just treating everything i remember at uni someone said to me you're either going to be good at treating shoulders or good at treating knees but no one's good at both you don't have time and uh i still remember thinking no i want to be good at both so i was fortunate enough to really look at treating the whole body and um yeah my running took off just after i finished uni i um got um what i do i sort of did a locum for the first six months after i graduated with nigel roth who was i think about the third year to graduate in australia from osteopathy he was an amazing mentor for me and that got me into really you know loving my osteo work i went overseas to run for a while and got injured unfortunately so i did some osteo work there on elite runners and things pretty much went from there and fast forward 14 years later and we're sitting here with you talking now i love that you decided to be an osteopath in a pub um i have a lot i have a lot of respect for that so can you (laughs) um so how how did you find yourself sort of treating these elite runners in melbourne um so really Oh, I was, I was, when I was sort of doing my first, my final few, year, uh, final few years of osteopathy, I was actually running at state level, um, national level. So I kind of got to know a lot of them really. Um, and what got me treating osteo is that as an osteo treating a lot of people is I've had some horrific injuries myself. Um, the worst one I got is when I moved to Kenya to try and train there for a while before I went to Europe. I actually snapped my groin. I was over there and um, through an old foot injury, my groin had disintegrated. So uh, I don't have an osteo disc anymore i had major groin surgery that's why i came back from overseas running and it was through the rehab of that i remember trying to rehab my own groin after four years being treated for people and they just gave me wrong advice or weren't quite treating it well enough and i ended up with nigel roth who i was working with we kind of came up with our own rehab program ourselves and it worked and then i also had achilles tendonitis had a haglund's deformity on my right heel and same thing there i've been given all these sort of treatments i've seen osteos i've seen physios i've seen chorus and everyone and nothing was working. So I almost sort of started treating myself as a runner and getting my body right. Um, and just through practice of that, I guess I got really good at it. And um, a lot of these runners that are in the elites, I was either racing against them, I was training with them. Um, so I got to know them really well and, you know, come good mates with them and they get these injuries and, you know, they've had Achilles problems or a quad problem or whatever running injuries these guys were getting and they weren't getting fixed. So if you said, well, Steve, can you look, look at, I heard you had a bad groin injury, heard you had a bad Achilles. So they just started coming to me more um, oh, organically, really. They just started coming across and can you fix them? And the, um, the, the interesting part there is uh, you're under a bit of pressure because if you fix one or two, like I did, it was really good. You know, it's a flow and effect, but if you don't fix them, it goes the other way. So luckily I got a few of the guys in and, we started treating them and getting great results. And, you know, word of mouth is probably the best way for an osteopath to um, build their business. That's how I kind of got into it was treating myself. And then um, osteo guys, um, sorry, other running guys needed some osteo. So they came and saw me and bit by bit, I fixed one, two, three, five, ten of them. And you now they all seem to come along, which is great. Fantastic. Isn't it a shame that we we learn so much from actually experiencing the injury ourselves? It's... Um, yeah. It's... it's it's a bit of a shame. I've got some raging plantar fasciitis at the moment and, um, you know, have done very little to try and uh, manage that myself. But now I really understand what it feels like. Yeah, but I reckon also, so there's a few benefits in that. And, you know, you've started running, you've sort of got a few injuries now. So you sort of learn from a few things. One, you learn how to treat it because what works on you, what doesn't. Two, you learn how you actually got there. Was it your training? Was it your conditioning? Was it just to happen come out of nowhere 
you kind of get educated on so many different levels. So when your clients coming down the track, you know what they're thinking. Um, a lot of my clients walk in the door and I already know what they've done, why they've done it, and why they shouldn't have done it. And they go, how do you know all this? Because I've probably made half the mistakes you guys have. And my goal as an osteo is to fast track them not making the same mistakes I made. It does give you such a such, so much more insight. So that's yeah. that's a good sort of leading on to the next question. So can you talk about how how you treat your athletes and how you search for and you know treat the cause of their injuries rather than just the symptoms? Yeah, um, you know when you first start osteopathy, you hear it's a holistic approach and you look at treating the whole body and that's what I've always done. And that's the same with the athletes. I don't find the athletes to be any different to any of the other people I treat. You know, while I treat a truckload of athletes, I treat people with back pain, I treat elderly, I treat young kids, I treat people for everything. And the approach is very similar in terms of, um, you know, you look at from the point of view, you don't just treat the um, symptom. Uh, I tell a lot of my patients, you know, you get someone that keeps coming home on a Friday night with a black eye, they keep coming out of the black eye, their eye's probably not their problem, it's probably their mouth. You fix their mouth and no one punches them and they're fine. Um, and that's what I kind of do with these running injuries. If you look at most running injuries, they're actually overuse. Um, not like running is a trauma sport like with AFL or rugby where people are knocking into you. It's actually a sport that is repetitive, repetitive injuries. It just builds up slowly. So really, you know, you don't just have your, you know, your patella tendon play up for no reason. You don't have your glute bursa flare up for no reason. There's obviously a reason for it. And so I go back to the basis and say, okay, the patient presents with this symptom. Um, what can cause this? Uh, I often use the thing to a lot of my runners. I say, look, you've got a half problem. You've got a tip posterior uh, flared up. You've got whatever injury in your foot and navicular. But I said, if I ask you to do a thousand push-ups every day for the next 10 days, I guarantee you, you're going to have a shoulder, wrist or you know, injury in, in your neck. But there's nothing wrong with your neck or your shoulder or your wrist right now. Same thing with, with the swimmers. You know, it's not by coincidence that all the swimming people that I treat have shoulder problems, whereas all the athletes, runners, have lower leg problems. So that's where I kind of drive it along. People say, well, there is a reason you get these pains. You don't just wake up and suddenly, you know, as I said before, your quad, your calf, your tip posterior is just gone all bad. You've caused it. So it's now understanding what's caused it. And the reasons for these causes are very um, different. This is because your biomechanics are poor. And your biomechanics are poor because you're not conditioned or they're poor because you're training too hard and you're fatiguing. If it's not your biomechanics, it's your training load, you know? If you just build up too quick or too fast, they're the things that are outside of the osteo realm that will um, help me. And that's why the sports science degree and being a running coach and being a runner myself, I kind of know what happens. Um, for those osteopaths out there that treat a lot of track runners, well, if you look at an athletics track, they always run in the one direction. Their left leg is always on the inside of the track, so it travels slightly um, shorter distances you put more load in that left leg because you lean to it. Whereas the right calf has to always travel a little bit further, a little bit wider. So understanding that if you've got a guy doing a 10K run out on the bike track, compared to doing 10Ks on the athletics track, it's a totally different form of running. And that's why you might find people on an athletics track present with similar injuries. So what I try and find is patterns, patterns and, and the cause. And you sort what those two problems are. And I think you fix up 90% of things. Um, when I have a patient come into me to talk about their running injuries or even injuries in general, I reckon, you know, I heard one of the osteo students in fifth year say, one of the teachers said to him, you know, 70, 80% of diagnosis is done in the history taking, not in the actual looking at the body. And I agree, you know, I can yeah. sit there and speak to them about what they've done, why they've done it. And before they even tell me their injury, I can tell you what they've got and why they've got it. 
In terms of history taking, sort of specifically for runners, if we want to find out about potential training errors and load, what questions do you think are really important for us to, to cover in our history? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll tell you a few straightforward ones that are quite, you know, make me kind of chuckle. Um, I'll use you as an example, Emily. When you first got a pair of runners, what made you choose them? Does they um, look good? Yeah, yeah, I dare say so, yeah. 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 So you, they might look great, but it doesn't mean they're actually the right shoe for you. Do you need a neutral shoe? Do you need a pronating shoe? Do you need a high lift, low lift? So just even a pair of shoes, if you put the wrong shoes on, that's going to give you injury straight away. So I start from the beginning and go, okay, well, what shoes do you run in? And then I'll look at their runners to check out the wear pattern. Uh, next thing I'll start is looking at their conditioning. You know, how many times a week do you run and how much do you run? Um, people often say, oh, if you run every day, it's not good for you. Well, I run, I think, I think I ran just over three years every day, 20 Ks a day without an injury, but I built up to it. And this yeah. like, so really the questions as an um, osteopath you need to ask is, well, has a person gone from no running to running uh, and understand that sort of workload? Then you realize, have they gone from doing slow running to fast running? Um, the number one question I say to anyone when they start at jogging is when you finish your runs, do you feel like you could keep going for another 10, 20 minutes? And if you say no, the chances are you're probably training too, too hard anyway. And that's why these injuries come along. So I look at footwear. I look at training. Are they training too hard, too fast, too frequently? Um, and things like that. So if you knock those two on, on the head, then you start looking at, at their body. So another example is um, the old wife tale back in the day was, um, why do you run? You're going to need a knee replacement. Um, statistically, you're less likely to have a knee replacement as a runner than as a non-runner, which will surprise a lot of people. You go, what? So you're telling me that if I run, I'm less likely to have a knee replacement. And the reason that is, if you look at most of the runners, they're lightly built and therefore the muscle mass is really good around their knees. So their knees don't cop the load, the muscles cop it. Whereas you look at people that, you know, just start running, if you're a little bit heavier and you're um, not very conditioned, then the actual knee joints cop the load. The first thing that people are doing is going, well, you're not 21 anymore. Maybe you need to start walk jogging too. Um, because while you want to try and drop that weight really quickly, are your joints popping at the pounding? Um, if you've got weak glutes, well, your hips are going to get it. So I'll look at also the actual person in the room and just try and get an idea of their conditioning and, you know, as a guesstimate, what sort of running they should be doing to start with. Okay. What? So I think, so we're going to focus, I think, today's episode more on you know, injury prevention. And we're hoping to do a little series. And the next one, I think we're really going to dive into detail on some specific running injuries and mechanics and, and treatment. So I, well, first of all, I'd really like to know what other than your um, sports science degree, what other, you know, courses or upskilling have you done to enable yourself to, to work with runners yeah, so where I've been lucky is that my sports science career is one thing, um, my own run coaching. So I've been fortunate enough to, you know, get to some pretty good levels of coaching, work with some really good running coaches. So understanding programs. Uh, one of my old coaches, Keith Livingston, wrote an amazing book about running. And in that book, he talks about training. So I was able to do that. Um, but in terms of hands-on treatment skills, I've gone and done a dry needling course. I've actually done three of them. And someone said, why have you done three? And a lot of things I do is I don't do the course just to be good at dry needling. I think doing the course by three different people, I get little 5% bonuses in each one. So I've done three, three dry needling courses. I've done cupping. Um, 
they're the main hands-on stuff apart from, you know, the massage, usual osteo techniques. But I find a lot of um, basic techniques at osteo are underutilized. So things like articulations of the feet. Um, one of the big things I do with treatment is I start at the feet. When you look at uh, injuries like stress fractures, how do you get a stress fracture in your femur or your tibia when it's not even hitting the ground? It's because the load goes up through your feet. So if you have almost really stiff feet, suddenly that jolts up through your body. So I don't lose a lot of basic techniques. So if you want to upskill, you know, look at doing dry needling course, look at doing um, uh, cupping courses, definitely look at trying to do some coaching courses. The problem with the coaching courses is, is I think they're, they're missing a lot. Um, you know, there's a lot of coaching courses. as Victoria put a lot of them on, but I think the people still walk out of those courses with just general knowledge. Um, and that's why, um, I'm looking at probably in 2022, putting together a bit of a thing with understanding the runners, you know, putting a little bit of a seminar together with going, these are the skills you need and this is the things you need to work with, which is going to be, uh, yeah, definitely the cupping, which uh, was really handy, dry kneeling, but understanding technique and changing technique isn't always good. So I've been able to do strength and conditioning course too. So sometimes with athletes, strength and conditioning stuff's really good as well. So from an athlete, from an osteo's point of view, and it's pretty hard because of my sports science degree, but I can look at an athlete's technique. I can look at an athlete's strength and conditioning. So I can give them a gym program and go, look, you're new to running. You need to strengthen up your calves, your glutes, your quads, your hamstrings, all that sort of stuff. Um, then I can actually treat with um, a needling and the usual osteo stuff. So what about, do you have, do you use a treadmill in your clinic and assess, um, you know, running technique on that? Or do you, film watch them on a track or do you not tend to do uh, that unless it's a coaching client maybe nah it's i'm a bit different so what i can actually do is i'm actually so in tune to it that i actually get patients to come outside in their running gear just run up and down the street yeah i can tell you in 100 meters in terms of running on a treadmill the biomechanics changes when you're running the treadmill so when you're running outside you need to get your center of gravity in front of your body that's how you keep rolling forwards when you run on a treadmill, if you get your center of gravity in front of yourself, you're going to actually hit the front of the treadmill. So with it uh, running on a treadmill, it's good, but it slightly changes your biomechanics because as soon as you land forward, rather than your quads um, swing you forward, they actually break. So you're, actually, you're more dominant quad running on a treadmill than you are outside. So your hamstrings work harder running outside than they do on a treadmill. So treadmills are great. You can analyze people on that. I just get them out on the street and go run up and down a couple of hundred meters and I can pick it up pretty quick. But that's, you know, that's, you know, I've worked in the personal training industry, coaching industry for 20 years. Um, but yeah, I think people too is what I try and do and what I do with this course I'm going to set up next year is give people cues. So you've got to look at the arms, arm carriage, how that swings, uh, the legs positioning. Uh, and it's often a chain reaction. So while I get people to do some running, you might see three or four things that are not quite um, biomechanically perfect. It's picking out the key one, um, adjusting that, then often the next two or three will actually straighten themselves out. Uh, so, yeah, so we don't really use a treadmill. I just think they're great to use them if you need them, but you've got to um, look out what you're, you know, looking for as, as well. Well, that's really good to know because, you know, not everyone wants to, in, you know, drop quite a bit of money on a treadmill or necessarily have the space for it. So that's actually really good to know. Um, how, how do you think osteopaths can build more of a presence in the, you know, professional athletics field? 
I think osteo is a prime in this field, really, because um, while I treat runners, I treat netballers, I treat all athletes. Um, they're very similar in how you treat them all. It's, it's a, it's, there's a few variances in different sports, but overall, it's very straightforward. And osteo as a whole is grounded to treat things holistically. It really does look at all the pieces, um, whereas other people tend to go for, you got a sore knee, they look at the knee. So I think osteo is really prime. It's just understanding maybe... The rehab side a little bit better it's maybe understanding the actual sport programs a bit better that's about all that needs to be done um, in terms of hands-on skills i think osteos are good enough as anyone else um, i often tell my clients i often tell the osteos that i work with i go sometimes when i fix someone i go it had nothing to do with my hands-on skill i go what do you mean i go it had to do with understanding their training program understanding their biomechanics and i've made you know changes around that an example is the squat um, people often hurt their knees and their back squatting, but the actual cause of it's their ankle mobility. So you look at someone's squat and I go, look, put a little uh, heel lift under their heel or I'll give them some calf stretches. Once I improve that uh, ankle mobility, your squat's fine. You can squat all day really well. So I think from osteos, the only part that I reckon they've kind of lack a little bit in is the understanding of rehab to a degree, how you get someone conditioned and do the management of rehab and also to understanding the sports. Outside of that, osteos are super good. You know, they can do what most things that physios can do, what pyros can do, and more. So I think the osteos, if they get a bit more confident, they were shot down a fair bit. When I first graduated, I still remember talking to a few physios, and I remember them saying to me, mate, you're an osteo, why are you working in the sportswear area? You're never going to be any good. Said, what are you talking about? And they're like, look, we've done two or three, four sports you know, related subjects in our physio course. You haven't done that, mate. We know more about sport than you. Little did they know, I said, yeah, but I've done a three-year sports science degree. So your three or four little subjects, nothing compared to my three or four-year sports degree working in gyms. And they went quiet. It's just a case of, I think, osteos understanding um, sports side of it a little bit more and then having a go. Because really, whether you're treating a person playing AFL football, NRL, or a person playing local footy, or just someone trying to get fit, the, the biomechanics are generally the same. It's just getting the basics of it behind it. So I think um, sports osteopathy will really develop. You've seen so many good osteos past now popping up just here and there in different sporting fields that are doing really well because they think, I think the osteo thought process is going to be the key to them moving forwards. I love that you went on boss on them. <laughs> Work. Harsh, harsh but fair. Oh, look, it has to be done. Okay, so we might move on to a bit of injury prevention now. So just talking about strength training, do you think that all runners need to be doing some strength training? Uh, no. When I was in Kenya, I still remember I was training over there for about six to eight weeks up in the mountains, and around me was probably about 5,000 Kenyans running. I think I only saw two white dudes in the space of six, seven weeks. Uh, and amongst those guys, I saw very little gym work. Yet I probably saw about 10 world champions, about six world record holders. So really, do you need to do strength training? If there's a deficiency, yes. If you've got time, yes. One of the things I do with a lot of my athletes is say, look, you know, if you're a full-time athlete, they're not working. So they've got all the time in the world, most of them. And it's not working. Is go, well, we go for our morning run. We go for our afternoon run. We sit around during the day. So we've got time to go do some strength work, which is great. Um, the average you know, patient you see or the athletes you see, they've got to study full-time or they're working part-time or even full-time. It's really hard to fit in the strength program. So 
I think strength work generally, my athletes will do it two to three times a week if time permits. Um, and it's about making it functional, making it really specific to what everyone does. A lot of people with a strength program go straight into glutes. Depends what you are. Uh, and your age group too. As you get older, you probably need a bit more strength work as well. You know, a lot of the younger guys and girls can fly around without it. So strength work, there's a big area for it. It's a time and a place. I think if you're a bit younger, you can get away without it. If you're a bit older, you need a bit more. And then it comes down to time. If you've got time to do it, great, do it. Um, I've got some great strength and conditioning coaches I work with. Um, one of them is actually a second-year osteo student, Kate Gifford. Um, you know, you so as an osteopath, I surrounded myself by some great people at the work they do. I've got a really good strength and conditioning, Kate. Um, Andrew White, who was the Australian Olympic massage therapist, he's also works in my clinic. He's also is part of my running squad. He's he's my head coach. So I think the strength work is really good as an osteopath. If you're not great at it either get a bit better at it, but just work within your scope. Uh, and what I mean by that is I've had a lot of clients over the year come to me with strength and conditioning programs that other physios or osteos or chiros or mice have given them, and they're terrible. In a way, the um, client would have been better off not doing them. So as long as I think you work within your area of strength, they'll be fine. And once again, with terms of clients, um, yes, it's a good thing to do. Uh, is the number one thing to do? No. Okay. So I guess, yeah, if, if they had good advice on, you know, load management and progression and giving their body time to adapt to what you want it to do, then, um, you know, that's just as important as doing strength training. Spot on. Like I'd probably put in the order of saying I'd give someone their running program first. The second most important thing I'd actually give self-management, whether it's foam rolls, spiky ball, loosening their feet up, uh, glutes, all that second. And then third would come strength. Okay. So what, what do you think are the key elements for preventing running injuries? Um, so if I get a client come in, it's understanding the client, you know, where they're going to stiffen up. So first of all, like I said before, you've got to make sure you've got the program set up. And what I mean by that is if someone's doing crazy running and I'm not joking, I've had people come in to me and they're doing, you know, they've gone from doing zero Ks a week to doing a hundred Ks a week in a month. You're playing with fire there. It doesn't matter what treatments you do, they're going to break down. So the first thing I do with speaking to my clients is just find out what program they're doing, why they're doing it, and how hard they're doing their shoes. So you get the basic down. All right, they're in the right shoes. They're not overtraining crazy. They're not pushing too hard. You can get all of that basically down. As a um, osteo, then it's too hard, really. I work from the feet up. So when I see a client come in and I go, okay, their program's good, let's move forward. I make sure their feet are nice and loose. I make sure their ankles are nice and loose. You know the common areas are going to get tight. So sort of um, dip in there, you're going to get things like, you know, the plantar fascia will get really stiff and so will the calves. Both the plantar fascia and the um, calves attaching to the calcaneus bone. You make sure their ankles nice and loose. There. Um, hip posterior, I know it's going to get really tight into the medial arch of the foot. If the calves are too tight, hip posterior might get tight, but hip anterior definitely will get tight. Look at all that. Then you move up further to their body. You look at their knee. I'm looking at the um, patella. You know, if you get really tight quads, and in society, we get lots of people sitting all day. So they get tight quads, tight into the anterior hips, which puts on the knees. I make sure I work out the quads, especially the lateral side, um, free up TFL, and try and reduce. A lot of people with sitting get anterior pelvic tilt. As soon as you get anterior pelvic tilt, you load the glutes a bit more, but unfortunately, you stress the hamstrings. Most hamstring injuries, um, not most, a lot, they come in to see me. Um, hamstring is what they feel, 
but it all comes from their quads and their glutes and their pelvic position. As soon as you load the quads up too tight, it loads up the hamstring. As soon as you get an anterior pelvic tilt and the glutes lock on, the hamstrings load up. So I kind of work through all of those areas on my athletes, go from foot all the way up to their lower back and just see what's tight, what's not in the right position, what needs to be freed up. And once I've ironed them out through that, then I see what remains and what might be a bigger issue. And what do you think are some common treatment mistakes? Well, I think the number one um, common mistake people make is client says I've got point A sore and they put all their attention on point A. Um, you know, using the hamstring again, I had a client come in oh, a few days ago, a really good runner, and he goes, yep, my hamstring's playing up, my hamstring's playing up. Um, I said, yeah, it's all coming from your quads and your glutes. And he said, I've had about you know six treatments from two different people and they just keep massaging the hamstring. It feels good short term. I said, have they looked at anywhere else in the body? Um, so I look at that and saying the common mistakes is um, focusing on the wrong area. The second mistake I think what the, um, the osteo sometimes make is they put it down to their own treatment or their own skill. And what I mean by that is you get someone saying, I've got a particular injury and it's not getting better. Well, it may not be your treatment's the problem. It might be the fact that they're going out there and doing some silly training. So I think a really common mistake is sometimes the osteos put it on themselves going, oh, I'm not improving their knee. It's not getting any better. I go, well, if you look at what they're doing, no wonder it's not getting better. It's never going to get better. But really getting the patient to take ownership of what they're actually doing, I think is a really good thing to do. And it's a common mistake people make because I don't get people to do it. So I think, yeah, they're probably the main two things that I look at. That's really great advice because I think we do tend to take on things too much as a practitioner um, and not putting enough focus on, you know, the patient's ownership over their own body. Can you talk about yeah. what do you think an ideal warm-up and, and recovery look like? Yeah, so is this for a session or just just a run? Just a run. So if you've got me so, that's heading out for a 15K run, you know, what would be your general advice in terms of warm-up and, you know, post-run yeah. recovery? Yeah, for sure. So if you say, so look, I'm going to go for a bit of a run, I'd say if you've got any particular problems, if you had a calf problem or a foot problem, I might say, look, before you get out there, put some heat on it or do some spiky ball work to loosen up, mobilise it. The most important thing with your run, I'll be saying to people, go start, start your run slow. Like that's the key to it is you start nice and slow and warm into it. I've got runs where my first K and my last K is probably about 90 seconds different in pace per K, which is a fair bit, but the effort hasn't changed. So really just warm up into your body and get used to it. That's the number one thing I'd say to everyone. Uh, the next thing I, I'd advise people is that when you finish your run, generally finish your runs like you've got more in the tank. Um, save a little bit in the tank for your next run. A lot of people will go out for a run and if you go out for 15Ks, Emily, and then you're depleted, it's going to take you a few days to actually recover from that. Because I'd say, look, go for a 15K run, but just feel like you're going to have two, three more Ks in there, but you don't do it which means you recover quicker for the next run. Um, and stretching, like things like stretching, I don't do it before runs. I do it after runs. Um, you know, from my age, but in 1999, my first year at science, uh, sports science degree, they were saying to us, don't stretch, it's dynamic stretching. Uh, and they, they were spot on. I still remember learning that for the first time going, wow, well, I've been taught my whole time before you go out for a run, stretch your calves, stretch your quads, then start running. Whereas we know now, don't stretch your cold muscle, stretch your warm muscle. So I tell my clients, it's more important to stretch after a run, whether it's directly after and throughout the day. And the other thing after runs is just spiky ball, foam roller, gentle stretching. I also make stretching quite um, practical. So if you're going to stretch your glutes, I treat my clients how to stretch their glutes sitting down. 
in, in a chair, not on, on the ground, because the chances of your client jumping on the ground every five minutes to stretch is no good. But if they're sitting at the computer, they're sitting at the bus stop, sitting on the train, sitting around having just a chat or drinks, they might actually stretch, stretch their glutes. And I only focus on probably three areas of stretching generally for people. So for you, Emily, I'd say just as long as you stretch your quads, your glutes and your calves, anything else is a bonus. Whereas I've seen people being given, you know, stretching programs, which are like a yoga class. I'm like, who's going to do that for longer than one or two days? Okay. So you generally wouldn't, you know, stretch on a rest day. It's only once you're all warmed up. Uh, no, on a rest day you can, but I was yep. so... I just wouldn't stretch before the run. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, and in terms of, so it's with foam roller and with spiky ball, um, yep. before or after a run? Both, anytime. So they're really good. Anytime. And the idea of them is to loosen the muscle up. So if you're generally known to be a really stiff runner, you might want to do it beforehand to get yourself moving, but then do it whenever you can to free the muscles up. But it, it's just like a cheap massage. Um, one of the funniest sayings I heard in running at massage was, um, you know, running is, is a general, can be a bit of a, a bit badass, I guess. What the old boys used to do is, they used to do what they used to call poor man's massage. Rather than go pay for a massage, they'd go for a long, slow, easy jog and run all the stiffness out of their body. And it works really well. You know, I remember hearing this thing when I was young going, oh, you're going to go for a poor man's massage. I was like, no, I'm going for a jog. These old guys used to laugh. And what they're talking about is going, well, rather than go get a massage, just go get a nice, slow, easy jog and you just massage the stiffness out of the legs. And then after that, jump on the foam roller and spiky ball. And if you've just got a, a recreational runner that wants to start, step, you know, start stepping up the kilometres, they might have a fun run in sight. Do you direct them to any, you know, online training programs or coaching programs? Like I know yeah, a lot of people do sort of couch to five pay, just you know, a, a graded um a graded program, or is that something that you will do for them? Either or like so if I get someone as my clients, I'm not trying to get them into my running group. I'm not trying to make money of them. So I'm of the view of I think those couch to five pays are brilliant. They're really great yeah. things to get people going. And I said people oh, just jump online, do one of them. Um, another thing I encourage is park runs. There's always park runs around Australia. They're free. They're 5Ks every Saturday morning. You get with a good bunch of people to train with. So I say, look, go do a park run and you can walk them to start with or walk jog them. If people are running them hard. So find a community to run with, which makes the running a lot easier. And then once they get to that level, and as you said, they want to step up, I can either write an online program. They can join my group in Melbourne. Or I just say to them, like, you know, if um, people have, I've got a guy at the moment, he's in Brisbane. So I've sent him to a coach in Brisbane that I know. And he's like, oh, this is great. So you just got to decide whether you want to do an online program and, or you want to do a group program and just build it up that way. Yeah, you know, like with a lot of things, there's a lot of running coaches out there promising a lot of things. It's not a hard sport. It's just a consistent sport that you build up slowly. It'll be great. Um, and so I find sometimes when you go to some running groups, they actually train you too hard, too quick. It gets you results really quickly. It also gets you injured really quickly or it gets you to small peak and you're not get any better after that. So there's lots of good running groups out there. You've just got to try and work your way through it. For my clients, you know, with my history, I can quickly write someone a month program in about 10 minutes. So try this for a month and on our next thing in a month, just tell me how it goes. Okay, great. Have you got any anything else you want to talk about with injury prevention? Any other tips to sort of finish up with? Um, 
the main things. Like as I said, it's about conditioning the body, getting it going well. Uh, in terms of um, injury prevention, it's just sometimes uh, less is more, as I tell my runners. So, you know, don't push things too hard. Be patient. Um, if you're not sure about it with injury prevention, if you're not sure about your running, go slower rather than harder. So build up slower because if you build up slower, you just go a little bit slower building up. If you build up too quick, you can reset. And the hardest thing with injury prevention is repeated injuries. That's the one thing I'll tell everyone is, guys, if someone does a calf once, you really would prefer to give it two weeks extra to get it right than try and do a week less and they redo it. So with injury prevention, um, most running injuries are overuse. So build it up slowly, really. All right. Well, I think we might have to wrap it up. Unfortunately, we had a lot more content to get through. So I think we're, we might have to do a subsequent episode on maybe Steve taking us through some of his, um, you know, professional clients and some of their cases. And then another episode really focused on injuries and um, osteopathic treatment and management of these running related injuries. Um, so thank you so much, Steve, for, for taking the time for today's interview and for sharing your knowledge with your osteopathic colleagues. If anyone would like further info on Steve and his running squad, you can jump onto Google and look up Deneen Running and Osteopathy and you can find their Facebook and Instagram page. And I'm very much looking forward to chatting to Steve again. Thanks Thank so you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. The content discussed in each episode is the opinion of the participants only and should not be used as medical advice.